She's a bad bitch. He's non-committal. You're listening to Mormon and the Meth Head. <laughs> well, that was a good one. Thank you. If you put a Mormon and a Meth Head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron Woodall and Jessa Reed are friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. Congratulations, Bakersfield, California. You got Aaron Woodall hungover. (laughs) That's the first time in my life I've ever had a hangover. I've never had one. I've kind of prided myself on saying that I'd never had one. You know, it's like that's I felt like the benefit of starting drinking in your when you're 30. It's like you drink way more responsibly than you would as a as a kid. And I never, I never had a hangover. Although there were times, like in the last year, where I felt kind of ugh the next day, and I wondered, oh, like I guess maybe I should stop telling. And I did. I stopped saying that I never had a hangover because I thought, oh, maybe I have had a hangover. I just, I was expecting it to be worse. All of you guys are bitches. All of you guys that complain about your hang, oh, I had to go to work with a hangover. Oh, don't talk too loud. I have a hangover. I was like, y'all are bitches. This isn't bad at all. Like, you just don't feel great, but it's not bad. And then I had a real hangover, and I was like, oh, y'all are still bitches, though. For real, it's not. I was a champ with my hangover. Y'all cry too much, man. You did pretty good. For as bad as it was. What do you mean pretty good? I was great. I was like playing with your kids the next day. I was great. Yeah, I didn't mean that. You never heard me complain. You never heard me go, ooh, ooh. I just kept my sunglasses on all day long. That's the only thing. I never even took a nap. Like I was was a fucking champ about it. Here's the thing. People message us all the time or they comment pretty much anytime. We're like, hey, Salt Lake, we're coming to see you. And then they're like, come to wherever. And why don't you guys come here? And it's because if we come to a city where there aren't hundreds of you, thousands of you. Um, there are no, city you with, there's no cities with thousands of you, <laughs> by the way. Uh, like we, I feel like we have 10 fans in every city. Like that, we, you know, we've got... Yeah. It's pretty rough. It's it's like I I know we I think we seem more successful or more popular than we actually are. Everyone's wondering why we're not touring, and it's like we don't have enough fans yet to do all these things that you want us to do. But it costs money to like you know tour. We have to buy hotels. We have to uh, buy flights, buy plane tickets, buy uh, food on the road, buy gas if we're driving, get a rental car usually. And, uh, yeah, it costs, it costs a lot. And then we usually have to like, we're usually paying to rent out a venue. You have to like pay the venue something in order to have the show there. And if you sell out, if you sell a bunch of tickets, you know, it pays for it and you go home with a nice chunk of change. Like we've sold out shows in DC and Portland in utah like delaware basically delaware. we had to have lived there at some yeah point. we have we already have our own friends and fan bases there utah you know clearly we like sold out a, a great show in arizona before like we've there's plenty of shows where we make a bunch of money uh, atlanta was a huge show it was great right uh but then like every tour like has like the night before atlanta we were in nashville and just had like 12 people you know yeah and that still wasn't bad because we didn't have to pay for that venue but uh bakersfield though uh in in bakersfield defense i definitely have gotten a lot of messages from people like come to bakersfield but it was more back in the day so maybe they stopped listening but then in my head i was like well bakersfield is northern california so i know we have a lot of fans up there in northern california it's not it's like it's not it's not even it's not even middle california yeah it's um, Southern California. And then we're we're still kind of like catching our stride after taking the summer off and kind of getting caught up. We did have everything moving like four months in advance. And then we kind of had to book out the fall with very, very little time up front. So there, it didn't get a lot of promo. The I think the... 
Starborn's fucked us with the promo. Yeah, yeah. We didn't advertise it super well, so it's not. I'm not like I wasn't mad at Bakersfield at all, but like uh, until they got you drunk, there was like six. There was like six of our fans there, which is like fine. But then you know the the owners were so nice. The owners were like, listen, you don't have to pay us the full amount for this venue. We feel bad. The fair's in town. Apparently, Bakersfield's a big big fair town. When the fair's in town, ooh, watch out. So they were like, they felt bad. And so then they were trying to convince people to come see the show. Like, we'll get, they had their friends buy tickets and they like, you know, bar patrons. They convinced, like personally went over and persuaded them to walk down to the, and pay to see the comedy show. And so we had like a decent turnout, but the thing was, is like most of them weren't planning on seeing a comedy show that night. And that's always a bad thing. Like you gotta be, you gotta like want to watch stand up comedy and they didn't really want to watch stand up comedy. They wanted to party with their friends. They, and so they were like, let's party with this dude. I did a joke about shots and how like, you know, Hey, I started drinking and started drinking shots and they were like, okay, dude, have a shot. Send a shot up to the stage. Not uncommon for a stand-up show. That that happens happens all the time, especially in bars, you know? But then they just kept coming, and they kept coming, and they kept coming. And they sent eight shots to me while I was on stage for, like, 40 minutes. I did eight shots. Jesus. But I had done one shot right before I walked on stage. And two drinks before that. Yeah. So, like, I'd I'd say I did nine shots in an hour. But in the hour before that, I had two Jack and Cokes and a shot. I did that before your like I had before your set started. I or before we like went up together. I had done. I had drunk two Jack and Cokes and had a shot of whiskey, a Jack Daniels. Right. And then before my set went up, I was like, "This is kind of a rough night, and I want to be a little bit more energetic and funny. I'll take one more shot before I get on stage." And then I had eight more in the next hour in such a short stretch of time yeah so i got fucked up fucked up and not only did i have a hangover the next day i also blacked out for the first time i've never i've never blacked out before and apparently like when jessa explained everything to me the next day i was like oh i definitely have some pieces missing of that night like and it was kind of like i would come in and out of consciousness so i could remember parts of me vomiting at a gas station or at a rest stop but i don't remember all of it like i remember coming to and being like uh like we're just sitting in a rest stop and i assume like we just stopped because jessa had to pee again uh, but which jessa's just like sitting there next to me and i'm like hey uh how long have we been here <laughs> And just as like an hour, and I'm thinking, why? Why have we been here for an hour, Jessa? Let's get back on the road. And then the next day, Jessa's is telling me like, you kept w- asking me to please wait. <laughs> you were like uh, vomiting out the car window and be like, I just need another minute before we start again, please. And I don't remember any of that. Yeah, I was like, didn't want to put pressure on you, but also knew I was getting very close to falling asleep, like being dangerous to drive. And we only had one hour left. And so you were kind of, I figured probably blacking out because we would have the same conversation, you know, over and over again, where you're just like, what time is it? And I tell you how long it will take us to get home. And I'm like, I tell you. And then you're like, I just need to throw up one more time. And then you thought you needed to shit at some point. And so you're like, I just got to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, you want me to help you to the bathroom? And you're like, in a second. And then you would kind of go out again. I don't remember walking to the bathroom, but I can remember walking out of the bath. Like I can remember coming to on the toilet and like standing up and leaving the bathroom and thinking, God, my legs are totally asleep. Yeah, you'd been (laughs) in the bathroom for a long time. And that I was like, I don't know. I'm positive he's asleep on that toilet right now, but I don't know how weird that's going to be for him for me to come into the stall and get him. So it's pretty close. <laughs> a little to... weird, but I probably would have been drunk enough to go along with it. Hello, Jessa. What are you doing here? Because I walked you there and took you to the bathroom. Like I had you, uh, I helped you walk to the bathroom and then I waited outside for, I don't know, not very long. So it was freezing. And then I went and got back in the car and then I was just going to come back out and get you because it'd been 20 or 25 minutes. And um, Jesus. 
and so, you were like, uh, you I, were walking out. I left you in there so long you were worried about a guy uh, kidnapping you. <laughs> it was like, yeah, there was a guy who was doing some weird behavior. He would like ask me how far it is to get to L.A. And then I told him because like I didn't you uh, had somewhere to be the next day. You were supposed to leave town the next day. And so I wanted to be like, stop taking like stop sending him shots but then i was like this is none of my business and then you took so many shots I took so many i tried in, to stop in 15 minutes really uh boom 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 i do i am still impressed with my ability to drink like you know i feel like i'm all, i'm really i handle my alcohol well and that night i really pushed my limits and i was still pretty good i was are, still pretty, pretty good, good until i blacked out and even like black, the stuff that you described to blacked out me, I sound still very sweet, like a sweet drunk where I'm like just apologizing to you a lot. Like, hey, oh, I'm so sorry. Thank yeah, you for I taking care of me. Yeah, I think it's assholes that are assholes when they're drunk. Yeah. I think alcohol just, um, I'm curious what I would be like drunk now because drunk when I still drank, I just compulsively lied. But that's kind of what I did when I was sober so it just got worse it got like i would compulsively lie about stuff that i would have no ability to prove when i'm <laughs> drunk i would also just constantly talk about how i'm drunk and i don't think that that's too far outside of what i do when i'm sober i'm constantly Talking analyzing what what state i'm in oh okay i thought you just walked around and told people i'm sober i'm sober <laughs> god i'm so sober right now <laughs> So I'm curious what it would be like now, but then, yeah, you were um, still crushing it and everyone had a great time. Everyone loved it. The owners were so nice to us and they were like, we want you to come back. It'll be better next time. And so I'm glad that I had fun. Uh, But like I you're right. I was supposed to drive back to Utah at 5 a.m. I was going to wake up at 530 or five or five and like be on the road at 530 and drive back to uh, a shitty corporate gig that I wasn't excited about doing. And we didn't get back to your apartment in LA until like 2.30. And I am blackout drunk. And uh, so I didn't didn't make that gig. And it... I I spent instead like that the next day just uh, trying to recuperate. Although it was like, I don't know. I didn't... I woke up. I've had one Bloody Mary in my life. I was out to brunch. And they had like $3 Bloody Marys. And I was like, I'll try one. And it was gross. I didn't like it. It's and made I, four hangovers. Exactly. So and then I, the second I woke up that day at your house, I, and like, I felt terrible. And I was craving that Bloody Mary. I was like, if only I had that now. That's exactly what I need. I want something spicy and liquid and alcoholic. That's what I want right now. God, please. It is but really weird where... that alcohol gets rid of a hangover. Nah, it's not. It makes sense to me. Like you know, add in a little bit of poison back to go back. You know. <laughs> yeah, I got cotton fever one time, which is where um, cotton fever is what they call it when a piece of cotton gets stuck in the syringe. So you shoot up, and then your body is freaking out because there's cotton in your blood, and is like your body goes on a full attack, and so you feel yeah, like I it's didn't, the worst flu. It's the fabric of our lives. Why does our body hate it, does it so much? It does not belong in your blood. Your blood is weird about how, you know, it's a very fine-tuned system to make sure that it's pure and has the right levels of everything. And so a piece of cotton throws it off. What we had done, and this is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever done, was Tyler used to save all of our old bags, like old bags of meth in a... God, I can't believe it is in a bottle, like a Mountain Dew bottle. And then he filled it with water and shook it up, which is like you can just get your meth back off of stuff and then you like boil it and it then you have the meth residue. Right. People do this with their bongs and stuff, but you can't shoot that up. There's so much bacteria in it. You have to smoke that doesn't it or sound it. doesn't sound uh, sanitary and like fucking idiots. Also, I had at this point only been shooting up for like three weeks. And uh, we shot it up and I've never been so sick in my life. Just, I can't even describe it. Everything, you feel like you're poisoned. Like my head hurt, like the worst flu you've ever had. And it just go, it went on and on and on. And then somebody came over, we did a little bit of meth, you know, and it didn't get rid of it. And then somebody came over and was like, idiots, you have to shoot up. 
you have to shoot up clean meth and it goes away immediately. Like you could have gotten rid of this five minutes later by just shooting up clean meth, which we obviously were out of meth. Otherwise, would why would we be shooting up <laughs> uh, bag scrapings? But um, so we did a shot right then. That was the first time I ever did a shot in my neck. And uh, oh, shit. and then I was fine. Yeah. Huh. Because my veins... So it's like a Bloody Mary It is like meth. a Bloody Mary for meth. Okay. Oh, all right. Tight. The problem was I was in Glendale. <laughs> there was like I could, there was not like walking distance to a bar or anything. I couldn't uh I would get have any happily alcohol. gone and gotten you a Bloody Mary. But you were doing... Re- you, had, you had work to do. You were doing oh, readings yeah. all day. And uh, so then I am like hung over and sitting down at a... a community appreciation taco day with nana and lilith and like all, it's all these kids getting face painting and running around and stuff and i'm just like sitting outside i sat outside for a long time by myself just out like on the curbs and it was like drizzling and that was very soothing to me yeah and it was just like the really i mean i felt like kind of low energy the whole day but it was really just the first i think when i finally got up at like eight o'clock eight thirty something and until I don't know, one o'clock. I can't, I don't know when it passed, but those first few hours, I just felt sick. Just like, oh, and there's the thing about me. I love throwing up. I think it feels great. The, the afterwards, like that feeling yeah. of relief Yeah. and you've purged and it's, oh, it feels so good. And, uh, I'm also great at throwing up. Wasn't like we we just gotten in the car and I was like, Hey, Jessa, I'm going to throw up at some point. Uh, you know what? It's going to be a little bit sooner than I thought. I think it's going to be actually very... You know what? Yeah. Just go ahead and pull over right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh-huh. And then like just roll down the window. And I'm like... All right. We're ready to go again. We can do it. Uh, but Because I, I, I enjoy it. What I hate... What I hate is that feeling of nausea when you like just can't wait to throw up and it's not coming. Yeah. That's and morning that's, sickness for me. Yeah. Well, that's I had sickness that morning. That's what the hangover felt like. Was like I felt ill, but I wasn't ever going to get to throw up, and that was torture. I hated that. And I, the only relief that I felt was walking outside. It felt good to like stand up straight, walk around for a little bit, and have this light drizzle on my face. It was cool and it was soothing. I was like, okay, all right. But like people tell you to like you know go eat greasy food that was like the tips i got from my uh brother and friends like you know eat something to soak up that alcohol and i'm like that might have been okay last night but right now no food sounds good everything sounds disgusting every like food i try to think of i could eat this i'm like that doesn't sound good i could eat that that doesn't sound good the only thing that sounds good to me is that bloody mary right now and then later in the afternoon you had the most delicious popcorn and I, Lilith had popcorn out and I, I ate one piece of it and it was like salty. You know, I think that's what I wanted. Something salty, salty but not yeah. like greasy or, or what it was light. And I just, I ate so much of that popcorn and that was all that I ate until we went and got, we got pho later that night. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like happy that I can say I've experienced it, that I, that I've, I've lived it. Now I know what a hangover feels like and now I know what it's like to black out and yeah. Thank you Bakersfield. <laughs> Thank you Jerry's Pizza. Dude, dude, some other comic I cuz I posted my Instagram story of Bakersfield and then that dude was like, "I uh, we were in Bakersfield like the next night." And I said, "Uh I hope the fair didn't fuck with your numbers or something, you know." And then He's like, you said, we had about 30 people. And I was like, yeah, it's better than us. Congratulations. And he said, where were you at? And I was like, Jerry's Pizza, exclamation point. Because, like, I heard that it's a Bakersfield institution. You know, this woman said corn and 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 Weezer and Panic. Yeah. Like, all these different bands had played there when they were nobodies, you know. And that it's like, and it was a sick venue. It was cool. I loved it. Yeah. And the owners were so cool and the food was great. Oh, we got to talk about the wings. It's a it's a beautifully tragic thing. The wings there were the best wings I've ever had in my life. Just like full, thick, just wonderful perfectly taste. crispy, perfectly perfect, perfect wings. And it's a it's nice because I will not be eating wings for years. <laughs> after, like after I threw them up all night long, I don't think I'll ever crave wings for a long, long time. But uh, maybe the, you know. <laughs> 
uh, like the at the at the pho restaurant, there was a picture of wings on the menu, and that made me feel ill. I know. I was just thinking about what does our future hold if, uh, if wings. the sight of wings <laughs> grosses you out. I guess oh this is no, it. oh no. Anyway, then the dude when I said he responded to Jerry's, I said Jerry's Pizza, and he was like, he was like, said something like, ha ha, I remember those days or something like. Oh, way before you were selling 30 tickets? Yeah, Get I was fuck. like, fuck off, bro. What are you talking about? Jerry's Pizza's cool. I felt like I couldn't tell if he was being, if he was actually being like condescending uh, and like he didn't know what Jerry's Pizza was because I felt like if you knew what it was, like you would say, oh, that's a cool, like if you've right. been there, like it's cool. It's cool. It's not, I would never be ashamed of performing there. And, or if you would, like maybe I was just uh, hung over and taking it personally and yeah. he was really like, Oh, I love Jerry's pizza. Ha ha. I remember that or something like or that. Or he just doesn't know what it is and is like, oh, pizza shops. I remember that's what, that's yeah. pizza shops. But then I'm going to look like an asshole if I then I'm like, uh, if I let him know that I did take offense, you know? like right. So I just said nothing. And yeah. I was like, I'm never going to talk to this guy again. <laughs> I'm going to see him at a festival one day and, and like uh, he'll be this like it'll be this one-sided rivalry i'm like that's my nemesis and he just thinks we're <laughs> friends you know <laughs> like you you once insulted jerry's pizza in bakersfield california so da, 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 da. so many of those anyway the next day i finally drive back to utah and it was rough like emotionally maybe the hangover had something to do with it like maybe my body is not perfect listen so you I'll, recovered for one day and then the next morning you left exactly so it's a it's a full day it's a full uh like i don't know 30 hours after i had drunk and thrown up and everything i start the drive and i'm just like i got some some things on my mind that are making me like i'm feeling kind of angry as the drive starts and then like something dumb and like just all these dumb things happen that made me sad that just kept it just kept getting worse throughout the drive and just probably sensitive but it just felt like everyone was betraying me like every person and like my brother said something that hurt my feelings but I couldn't tell him that it hurt my feelings so I just have to just let that go but like I screamed in my car I was so mad uh it was just like such a I was just like fucking uh, you know, I just it, it seemed so rude to me, and then like something that happened fantasy football that made me mad. <laughs> like, uh, this is even dumber. You know, I hate this league that I'm in. I hate it. It's my old mission companion, his family, and every year, uh, me and Jeremy lose this league. Like, we've never won a championship ever. Tabitha won the first year because I was giving her advice, but she won the first year, and ever since then, it's just been. Uh, his family members that win and like but jeremy and i consistently have the best teams like we always are like the best team but then we always lose in the playoffs because because fantasy football is just random like that but what kills me is that like like me and jeremy like like consistently the only people who are taking it seriously like we are like on the waiver wire and we're trying to make trades and i'm like i put a lot of work into trying to make stupid fucking trades in the and like it's just fun like that's what makes fantasy football fun for me is trades because i think like you feel like a gm like you're making moves you know yeah. and i'm wheeling and dealing right but I like put all this work into it. I look at the trade values chart on CBS.com and then I, I like I assess everybody's team strengths. I look for people that have that are maybe weak at receiver but have lots of running backs, and I'm trying to get a running back and trade them a receiver. And my friend, my mission companion, like I, no one has ever accepted a trade. And they always act like and I think this is just true in fantasy football, maybe. So you always feel like the other person's trying to rob you, right? They're always trying to rob you. And I'm like, I'm not trying to rob you. Like, this is a fair, I think it's fair. Like, I'm tr clearly trying to strengthen my team. That's why we trade. But, like, I think this is something that helps both of us. Otherwise, I wouldn't have proposed it. And he's just, like, made jokes about me trying to, like, steal players and stuff. And, like, every, and they all, like, ha-ha. And I'm like, y'all don't even understand fantasy football. Like, that was a whatever, you know, you know. But it hurts my feelings, Sure. And then all this last week, I had been thinking about proposing a trade to this guy for a running back. And I never sent it. I never even sent him a, a proposal because I was like, 
he wouldn't go for it. His team is is stacked. He has no need to trade me. Like his team is fine. He would get nothing out of it, and I'm just going to be accused of like being a thief or something again. And I don't need that, so I won't do it. And then I'm on in the car, and I see that my friend had trade had traded that guy for that running back for for, and I'm like, what the fuck? I was like, this trade is bullshit. If anybody's stealing something, but it, I mean. I think I did overreact because uh, anyway, the players that Chris Carson did score a touchdown last night and uh, whatever, but I, I don't think you should have. Why would you trade away Melvin Gordon right when Melvin Gordon comes back? Like that makes God, no, no kidding. sense. You have to be kidding. Like what? Who would do that? I wasn't even going to trade. I wasn't even going to ask him for Melvin Gordon. I was going to ask him for Austin Eckler. Okay. That's because who in their right mind would trade away Melvin Gordon when he just came back? It doesn't make any sense. So I felt very betrayed. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, I'm, when you're in a car alone with your thoughts, it's not the best place to be if you're having sad thoughts and you got to, and it's a, it's a monster drive. It's driving all day just by myself uh, listening to my dark, t- my beautiful dark twisted fantasy <laughs> over it again. Uh, it's uh, it's a great album. It's so good. I tried listening to books, but they all fucking sucked. I hated. That was bad. You know. I, I tried listening to 1984 for the first time. It's a classic. Uh, seems like very prescient. I should listen to it. Couldn't get into it. I, I just my mind would wander. I switched to Heart of Darkness. I was like, I got Heart of Darkness as well. It was another classic. It's like only four hours long. I listened to this. And the guy's the guy's voice, dude. The guy's this just starts out. I was like, We were on the deck, Cheerios and the, the oh, mates. And, that, that. and I was like, I can't I cannot make it through this narrator. No. So I'm just alone with my thoughts and they're just getting sadder and sadder. I'm trying to do things to cheer myself up. I call my mom like because I, I like I like doing phone calls in the on those long drives like catch up with old friends or something. Yeah, wanted to talk to my parents. My mom didn't pick up, so I called my dad. Talked to my dad. It was an okay conversation. It was okay. We're talking about how the, he's selling the house, moving to a different house. I told him that that makes me sad. I like that house. I'm gonna miss coming to that house. You know, uh, luckily they're not moving until like the end of the year, so we still get to do Thanksgiving and Christmas one more time in that house and I'm, I'm looking forward to that but at the end of the phone call uh my dad didn't say i love you like i told him i loved him and he didn't say uh it back and that like just it just hurt it hurt and i, I hung up the phone feeling now sad i felt okay during the phone call but now i feel sadder and more alone and i said out loud Jesus Christ, doesn't anyone love me? Or does can, I said, Jesus Christ, can someone love me, please? Something like that. I said it out loud. And then, like, I heard those words as they came out. And then I got even sadder thinking about how much I miss Jesus. Jesus used to be this guy that I talked to who loved me all the time. He loved me unconditionally. He was my big brother. And like I had this like whole relationship with Jesus. He was my literal brother, like that loved me like a brother. I ne- I don't have a uh, a big brother, and like Jesus is my big brother, and it feels good and feels safe. And like I could talk to Jesus and tell him about my problems and stuff. And so then I'm just start crying. I just start crying in the car about how much I miss Jesus and how alone I feel and how much this sucks. And then I just started crying for hours, just off and on cried cried for a long time i put on that one song that makes me cry you know uh-huh. and just let it out just let i just whew, i listened to it like three times back to back just got all the tears out i thought and i kept coming back and then i really descended into suicidal thoughts i haven't, i don't think i've talked about it yet on the podcast but like this ever since we broke up this summer i feel like I've been thinking about like suicidal thoughts have suddenly popped back up like ideation. Right. Right. And it's been a while and it's like nice. The the, the good thing about it is that like, it makes me go, Oh, I haven't had these thoughts in a while. Like I didn't realize that I was doing okay. It sucks that I only realize that when I'm doing bad again. Right. But it's like nice to look back and be like, Oh, I guess I did make progress too bad. It's all undone now. And I'm going to go buy a gun. I did. I have looked, this is like, I've never done that before. 
but I started looking at like how much does a gun cost? Yeah, hypothetically, like I let's just, what what's the going? I'm just curious, what's the going rate for guns these days? They're in the news a lot. Uh, I'd like to just know. Oh, you can get a gun for four hundred fifty dollars, huh? Well. Good thing I'm dead ass broke. (laughs) 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 Fuck. That seems like, you know, it's not too bad. I should just, you know, if I I feel like if I was, if my life was in a better place, I would have $450 lying around. But if my life was in a better place, maybe I wouldn't feel the shitty. So I probably wouldn't be, I probably wouldn't be window shopping for pistols. But. I'm in the drive and the and I start thinking about guns again, and I just am like think I'm like drive I'm in the wilderness you know like the desert, right? Just empty stuff on the other side of the highway, and I just I'm thinking about like I could shoot myself there. Like I go off into those woods, shoot myself there. I could shoot. Where could I shoot myself? I could think. I started thinking about like maybe I should just steal my dad's gun the next time. <laughs> like when I go to this house for the last time at Thanksgiving, maybe I should just take that gun with me. Maybe I should just, you know, to have it. What would it be like? You know, have I told you guys that I put, I don't mean to sound, I don't want to sound. I'm, I'm trying to be honest. I feel like, and that's kind of be the moral of the story at the end. So don't get too scared. But I feel like talking about it is what snapped me out of it at the end. So that's what I'm trying to do here. But uh, on my birthday, 2016, it's like the I had you know my birthdays are, are we've got a bad I've got a bad streak with birthdays going. I'm trying to trying to undo it. You know, they're getting better. They're getting a little better every year. Like 2016 was definitely the worst, you know, and then they've gotten better. Like last year was the best one that I had in a long time. Uh, but uh, there's still just like this, like, I don't know why that makes me so sad, but something just does. But my birthday 2016, I uh, I put, I was at my, my dad's house and I put his unloaded revolver in my mouth and just to like, you know, it's just like, you know the steps of ideation, right? Like I'm not doing it yet, but like I'm inching closer to it. And, uh, I don't think I even pulled the trigger cause I was too, like I, I triple checked that it was empty, but I was still so scared. Like, you know, what if I pull the trigger and I am dead. Right. So like, I was still thankfully far enough away from actually doing it, but it was like, it was a, it was a breaking, a heartbreaking moment. Like it broke me. It was, it was so, I, cause I was like, this is the closest I've ever been to it. Right. And, uh, I was just, a, I was just a zombie and I like went and saw a movie with my brother, some boxing movie with Miles Teller. And afterwards we're driving home and he's like talking about the movie. And I was just like, told him that like, I put dad's gun in my mouth and I just cried and cried and we talked about it. So again, I feel like. Telling someone is is key. Something about that, like, it makes it. You like kind of come back to reality, you know. I mean, so I'm in this car, like, separated from everyone. I'm feeling so alone, and I just, I'm getting sucked into these thoughts, and it's just getting worse and worse. I'm getting sadder and sadder, and sadder. You know, you start thinking about like. I, you, I feel so disconnected. I don't feel like anybody loves me or will miss me in those moments. You know, I just feel like this life sucks. And why, why am I still here? I could just leave. Like, I don't want to be here. Like, I don't think about my parents being sad. I don't think about like, I don't, like none of that touches me. Like I can, those thoughts may pass through my head, but like, they don't touch me. Like I still, I'm, and again, I'm not doing it, but I'm like, I think thinking about it is a step closer towards doing it, right? And it's just getting, yeah, just way worse. I pull it to a gas station and I'm still, you know, like an hour 45 or something from home. I also like haven't eaten. It's been a long time since I've eaten. And I think I'm like, I'm conscious of like, that could be playing into this, you know, 
I could just need to eat. So I go into this gas station McDonald's. And I'm trying to just order something. And no one is coming to the counter to like help me with my order. And I'm just like losing it. The uh, I try to go to one. You know, they've got those computer screens to order off of. But they don't have the $3 bundle uh, on the computer <laughs> screen. And I need the $3 bundle. That's what I want. And I don't have any money right now. Because, by the way, I... Um, just try to use uh i just tried to fill up my gas tank outside and my credit cards are all declined every single one of them's maxed out and they're not letting me use them anymore and i use a little bit of cash that i'd pulled out earlier i had a 20 and i was like i can put 20 bucks on this tank and that's gonna get me the rest of the way home and then uh soon the patreon money will come in like bob you know i'm like but i'm like freaking out i start freaking out about how like I have to get Ethan from school tomorrow and I don't have any money. Like there are no groceries at my house. I've been in LA for two weeks and I don't have any fucking food and I don't have any money to buy food like this. This cash I have is like what I have left to buy food. And I don't have any fucking. And I, so I need to eat something and uh, I can't uh, because this, this computer screen won't work and no one here will order. And I like am, I start to break down again in this gas station McDonald's and I am just losing it and I have to leave so that no one will see me cry. And then like every, I keep, I go keep, I stay at this gas station for a long time and I keep trying to go back in and order something. But like anytime someone looks at me, I'm like about to cry again. Here's how, this is how I know I was having a mental breakdown. I was ready to buy my first pack of cigarettes. This was, I was like, what if instead of food, because the McDonald's lady won't help me, I'll just buy a pack of cigarettes uh, because like that sounded, it sounded like so good to me. Yeah. I think I finally understand cigarettes and yeah. it's all thanks to Fleabag. Yeah. yeah. Fleabag made cigarettes look so hot. The first, I, I had this loose cigarette just like in a, a, the Tupperware container that I keep all my weed in. I had this loose cigarette for I don't know how long. And I just, I picked it up one night when I was drunk and I was like, I'll save this for some day that I want it. And after watching an episode of Fleabag, I was like, now's the time. And I went outside onto the benches in my courtyard and I just enjoyed a cigarette and I was like ah I get it this is nice this is a good feel I feel good afterwards right and so I'm sitting there freaking out and I'm like you need cigarettes you need cigarettes or you just buy it and I'm like staring at the price I go back in and look at the prices I'm like it's only six dollars it's only five uh 89 for a pack of cigarettes I have that much and like I bet then I won't be hungry because I'll have had a cigarette and I bet I'll be calmed down I'll be done crying I'm googling uh the (laughs) The differences in Marlboro cigarettes so that I know which one to order. I'm like, do I want the red one or the gold one or that black one? Jessa loves menthols. Should I get menthol Marlboros? I want to know. I want to like order. But the only thing that kept me from not buying a pack of cigarettes was not fear of addiction or fear that I was having a breakdown, but was guilt over spending the last of my money on on some stupid thing like cigarettes. And I felt like. You can buy Ethan a couple of lunches for six dollars. Like you need this money. Don't do it, right? And I had been checking my phone. I eventually go back into the McDonald's and and somebody does finally notice me and come over and I get to order a three dollar bundle. I eat it by myself, almost cry while I'm eating it. But like I do think food was uh helpful in this scenario. Yeah. When you guys are feeling suicidal, ask yourself. Have I drunk water lately? Have I eaten lately? And try those things before you buy a gun. Like before, like don't, you can keep gun shopping don't on the checklist. Don't shoot yourself on an empty stomach. Yeah, That's what I yeah, say. yeah. Eat something before you shoot yourself. That's great. But I've been checking my phone for hours before this for someone to message me, some kind of notification, something that I could, you know, but I just have no notifications. I just keep looking at my phone. I finally get a text from someone as I'm leaving this gas station and it's about the movie it they're watching the movie it and they uh, were telling me like, you know, something they noticed this time watching the movie it and I was like so glad that I had a text message, but then I don't want to talk to them about it. I want to tell them that I'm thinking about killing myself, but then that seems really rude to do like they just want to they're they're enjoying a movie night with their friends and like i don't i shouldn't just like burden them with this shit so then i almost said nothing but then i i sat there for a long time and i was like say something say something say something and i did i was just like i just 
like word vomited out this giant text. I was like, hey, not a big deal or whatever, but I'm really glad you sent me a text because I was feeling a little suicidal and, uh, you know, I probably just hadn't eaten or something yet, but I just ate now. Now I'm feeling I'm probably going to be fine or whatever, but uh, I just wanted to say, you know, and I like just vomited it all out. And then they responded very kindly, you know, and they wanted, they, they uh, talked to me for a while and I felt fine. It was just like an immediate relief that I told someone that I was having those thoughts and then suddenly those thoughts weren't powerful anymore. Right. They just like, you say them out loud. It's like the ridiculous spell or whatever in Harry Potter when you make the scary thing, you know, you just, you have to just like shine a light on it and then it's not as powerful anymore. It's not as scary anymore. And definitely the McDouble helped and yeah. And I also was probably like just done crying. I feel like I've gotten all the tears out. that I could just like, you know, vomiting up the chicken wings until they're all done. And then the, the last like hour and a half of the drive home just wasn't as bad, you know, and I made it home. It was so late. It's been a whole day driving. I finally am back in my own house in my own room after almost two weeks of being gone. And I, um, just felt better, felt better. I smoked a little bit of weed and it was great. It was like, I mean, I smoked, I did one hit and I was like, whoa, so high. Um, I, was hadn't, I hadn't smoked really um, in like a week or something like that. And I was probably also still very hungry. But um, And then something weird happened. I went to sleep and the next day, that Monday was like one of the best days I've had in a while. I was just like productive, which is something I always want to be. I always hate myself when I'm lazy and I do nothing. And I just was feeling positive and I was productive all day. And I like did business stuff. I did I had all the I like made a to-do list then before I went to bed. And I was like, take care of this, take care of this, take care of this. It's like, you're going to take care of these credit cards. You're going to take care of this thing. You're going to do this. And, oh, yeah, you know what I spent the whole, the, the last, like, hour and a half of that drive doing was thinking about being on Conan. I was just like, you're going to get, you need to email Conan's dude, J.P. Buck, right? That's his name, right? Mm-hmm. I always want to call him J.P. Sears, but that's the wrong guy. <laughs> um, email that guy. What in like you're gonna get on Conan, and then once you have a Conan spot, it's gonna be so much easier to email clubs and get dates, and you're gonna get back to work, and you're gonna be uh, doing comedy clubs again, and you're gonna be getting paychecks, and we're gonna get you out of this credit card debt. Like you're gonna do it. And I started thinking about the set, and I was like thinking about the jokes, and like oh okay, I think this set is like I already have a set ready. That's a good six minute set. Like I'm gonna do it. Blah blah blah. And then the next day, I just. I followed through and I actually sent an email. It's and I realized like it's October now. It's 11 months. It's been 11 months since I did the Conan showcase. And I've been too scared to send this email. It's almost been a year. And I just kept being like, you know, I don't want to ask for two like if they wanted me, they would they would have reached out to me, but they don't. And so it's going to be really lame and, and, and weird and clingy if I if I send them an email being like, hey, can I, I really want to be on Conan and stuff. And I just never did it. And I'm like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. And I did that. And I, and I messaged other people about booking dates at different things. And they were all like small steps. But like compared to yesterday, I was like, holy shit. I can't like yesterday seems so fucking far away. I can't believe that I am. I'm like, it's a 180 degree difference. I'm a completely opposite person today. And it was like something about the credit cards maxing out too. Like I was, I was so suicidal up until that point. And you'd think that like that would just give me more reason to kill myself that I was like, I have, you know, I don't have any money. Also, I should just die. Like it seemed like that's what I think. That seems like an easier solution, but it was like, I have to get groceries for Ethan. And then I had a purpose. And I was like, you have to get groceries. Like you can pull yourself together. Like you uh, have a kid that you are picking up 
at 3.30 tomorrow and like you have to get all these things done before 3.30 and after that like you need to buy him pants for school and you need to you know all this stuff and uh, I had an amazing day it was uh, incredible and then like you know Ethan brightens my whole world up and he's so 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 excited to see me and we just stayed at the bus stop for a long time just playing some game where he you know some imagine you know make believe game that we were fighting i was i was the river god and he was he was the volcano ninja and shit like that and it was just uh, it was just fine everything was fine uh tuesday was less productive i remember telling you i was like why can't i have like two days in a row could i just like I would just like to have a streak that lasts longer than 18 hours of me actually getting stuff done because Tuesday I was just like, I'm tired. I need a nap. I'm not going to do anything today, but I still have never been as bad as I was that night. It was just, we, it was a whole bunch of, I don't know. I don't understand it. Water baby calls it purging. And I like that. I like that. I don't think, I don't know. Now, as someone who has regular anxiety and depression, I still don't think it's a part of me forever. It's like a process. There's a bunch of trauma coming up. I feel like the thing with your dad is a huge clue. Um, Not to diagnose you, but uh, I felt like the conversation that you had with your dad that you recorded the night that we were on drugs... (laughs) I thought that that conversation with your dad was like a map. Was it? I feel I haven't. You kept being like, I just need to know that you're proud of me. And he was like, you know, the... and I don't think <laughs> it's that he's not proud of you. I just think he's his absolute fear of intimacy, I think, had to. Right. You're, you're a, a sensitive, sweet, loving person. And as a kid, you had to have felt. You know, or I feel like your mom showers you with so much love, but that's almost off-putting to you. But you're just trying to get it from your dad, who's just like not capable of of giving it to you. And I, I don't like I uh, assume, or I think it's pretty common for that that type of wounding to uh, make love feel feel difficult. I um, stuff's so weird because you were at my house the day before and like sick and I just wanted to like take care of you and uh like love on you and make you food and whatever I was booked solid because you were supposed to have yeah it sounded nice you were like hey you know I just I if you let me do this I'd love to take care of you and I was like absolutely and then I never saw you for the rest of the day (laughs) I was like oh okay until we got we went to dinner that night Uh, yeah I um we got in the hot tub and you told me about my blackout that was cool (laughs) I, uh, something about you brings out this like strong desire to like, like be nurturing and, and serve and, and, uh, uh, you bring out a very loving side of me that I don't usually see where I do just have this burning desire to take care of you. And as I sort through what is codependency and what is just actually me, and what is like love and what is attachment and you know the further I get away from attachment and the less scared I am and the less I'm projecting my childhood fears onto people primarily you my childhood wounding or whatever Like, on that trip, I was like, wow, I just, like, really love him. Like, underneath all of the fear and the abandonment wound and the needing to prove my worth and the everything else, like, I just, I just, like, really, really love him at the bottom of that. Which is weird because it's, I've never felt less attached to the outcome. Now it's like, uh, 
things that in the past would have made me like, oh my God, you know, there's a little bit of residue of that. I feel like it was like at the beginning of the trip, uh, a lot of that kind of burning off. And by the end of the trip, I was like, this is interesting where I'm just like, hey, uh, I totally want to take care of you. And I understand if that feels engulfing and if you don't want me to do that, that's okay. At one point during the blackout where you were like, you're so nice for sitting here or whatever. And I was just like, there's nothing I'd rather do than just take care of Aaron while he's sick. Then the next day I felt like uh, I I wasn't super clear if you were okay with it. I think you heart reacted it. And I was like, I'm just going to give him a space if he wants me to, to do something. It's cool. Um, in between my 300 readings. And then um, the next day you left. And... Um, I ordinarily would message you a ton. Like when you leave, I ordinarily am up your ass. It's hard. The separation is hard for me. The separation uh, is very activating in codependency. So usually when we are together for a stretch of time, which we weren't together nonstop this time, like we had been in the past, but, and then you leave, uh, it's very activating for me. And so I climb up your ass, which I think when we separate is the time that you want to be by yourself more than anything else. And I don't think I'm the person that you had in mind when you were in the car, but I just was like, uh, thought a lot about, yeah, I just, I love him. And I, I, weirdly not afraid. Ordinarily, uh, those thoughts would be followed with needing to clarify something or needing you to understand that like, man, I'm fine when I totally wasn't or, uh, like struggling with the vulnerability of that when I just was like, no, I really love him. I hope he finds, uh, happiness in whatever he does. And, uh, I'm here. And he knows I'm here. If he wants to come back, that's cool. But like, also I can just move on with my life. And I didn't message you all day. Cause I was like, uh, fine. And, um, also giving you space, you know, I thought about how annoying it must be to be introverted and have to be in, up someone's ass for a couple of weeks and then and then finally get some space and then she messages you a thousand times that day because she's scared of you being gone and uh and um I do I am I used to be very preoccupied with whether or not you were okay uh your suicidal ideation it scares the fuck out of me you know I've had someone put a gun in their mouth and uh I thought I, th I thought a lot recently about how I get in your space when you're sad and how fucked up that is. Cause me being afraid of you killing yourself, uh, is about me, right? It's about I'll die. Like I'll literally die if he dies. Um, but, uh, you, I love you. I think I probably wasn't on the list of, people you were feeling um unloved by that day but uh just in case it happens again and you need like uh like one person for sure that loves you you can um count me okay that wasn't where i was planning on going with that i um it was a nice detour yeah it's just interesting the the journeys that we're all on and the like how they they bounce into you know they reflect off of each other and stuff but they're people serve to be a lesson in our life you know and but like as we are hitting certain checkpoints you know and the i don't know i've been um don't judge me for wiping my face with a sock. Dude, there's so much snot on that. You wiped on your shirt, on your on your pants, on your sock. I'm so gross when I cried. I'm glad I didn't do it for most of my life. Making up for it now. Yeah. Definitely catching up. Um in two thousand uh this is actually a phenomenon I've experienced since I woke up where I can feel the credits rolling. I could feel the credits rolling on uh, like a movie of my life. And um, 
it happened a lot when I first woke up. It happened less and less as I went straight and, and lived in normal society. And in 2017, it felt like just kind of standing at the edge of the ocean and then a giant wave hitting and just knocking you to the ground. But like that thing where you're trying to get back up and you can't get back up, it keeps knocking you down. And it wasn't necessarily like negative things happening. It was just a violent being picked up and put onto another timeline. And it didn't... It didn't feel against my will like life was happening to me because I rarely feel like I get caught up in stuff for a minute, you know. But for the most part, I feel relatively okay with everything that happens in my life, you know. But uh, the credits are rolling hard on a lot, like so much of my life right now. And... um It feels good. Like, I feel like, okay, like 2017, like picked me up, took pretty much everyone out of my life that was in my life and put me into a new life with new people, a couple stragglers from the old life. But then I lived a completely different life. Like everything was different. And uh, the premise of it was different. And the lessons were hard. And the, uh, you know, it was uh, traumatic. I remember 2017 like every five minutes feel like I'm having a really weird year and um I felt the credits rolling but I was like I don't know how possibly I will do this and then within six months my entire life was different you know and um then I've just weirdly kind of known what was coming as it's coming. Like I have this kind of like, I knew I was going to be mourning in June and I knew like money was going to be fucked up. And then I knew like by September I would have it figured out. I wouldn't have guessed how, but, um, I feel like going into 2020, it's happening again. Like by this time next year, it's all different people. It's all different stuff. And, uh, I feel like it's cool. I feel like it's a, a less painful um, lesson, you know, series of lessons that I'm going to learn, but it requires all of these like painful endings, some things that I have to end, other things that are just ending, you know, or they're just, I'm just watching them like close up. And um, I don't think I'm going to be living in LA, you know. By 2021, I don't know where I'm going to be. I can just tell it's probably not LA. I don't... Like, I'm looking at stuff, you know? And I, I think that something comes in and changes things rapidly in a way that, you know... I can't see what that is yet. But, like, I feel it coming. I feel a lot of things that are, like, uh, part of my life right now not being a part of my life. I see very visibly things that I have, like things I have to do to like start that process and those are hard things that make me anxious to think about there's things that are like choosing what's in my best interest over what other people need from me and uh you know it's making me anxious and then the anxiety wears me out and then it makes me sad and then it's kind of been like yesterday was like anxiety and then I felt it like click over into depression and I was like, okay, cool. So I might be able to like get through this cycle, but I like that water baby calls it purging. I like that. It's not just who we are. You know, it's not who will be forever. It's a process where it's like, we are trying to get somewhere, you know, emotionally, mentally, physically, like we are trying to get somewhere. And though sometimes it feels like it's two steps forward five steps back it's like part of the process um calibrating is a word I kept getting in like meditation and it does like feel like an infinite onion it feels like it never like can I just chill for a minute or like it's I feel like I I figure something out I work through something and then the next thing comes and um anyway uh I felt like I needed to give that big giant explanation of why I just lost it but like in the last you know, I got back here last night and was like, I should just start crying soon. Is it get the crying part out? Right. Because that's like, does feel like purging to me. It's like, there's all this shit, you know, I did a big purging 
right before the fucking uh, Comedy Central party. I look at so many like pictures that are up of me publicly and it's like I did a lot of purging that day. Like I cried my eyes out. So people just think my face looks like that. My eyes are actually much more open than that usually. But um, that was a big closure purging for me. I felt way different the day after that. You know, I just sat and cried for what felt like three hours. I don't know how long it was really. But I, it was a big like release and um, I guess I'm up for another one of those. I hope it hurries up because I got to get a fucking comedy festival put together. But I'm rambling because I feel weird because I cried on the podcast. But um, I also need to eat for sure. <laughs> uh, you mentioned the Comedy Central party reminded me that... Uh Brian Baldinger suggested I kill myself at that party <laughs> <laughs> because of my Instagram handle. <laughs> he said, have you considered suicide? Like, uh, a lot actually almost daily, man. Come on, come on. I'm a comic dude. I'm happy for you. I hope that uh, I hope that you let go of all these things you need to let go of, and I hope that it takes you somewhere nice. You too. Thanks. All right, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, join our Patreon, yeah, book a reading, we'll catch you guys next time on Mormon and the Meth Head. If you put a Mormon and a Meth Head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron Woodall and Jessa Reed are friends, listen to them talking to Mike.